0: People, please be down sitting. <laughs> All right, I love it when we get together. Um, it's wonderful. I mean, and I never get bored of saying it. It is such a privilege to meet as the body of Christ. It's such a privilege. Um. There's so much of the story of God that is woven into the local church. Just like you heard what Barb and Rich were sharing. It's, it's so uh, impactful when you realize that the testimony of any local church is the lives of the people. So it's not about the preacher you have. I can guarantee I can guarantee that right now. It's not about the preachers that the church has, nor the kind of ministries that they host. It is the lives of the people within the local church. So let that serve as a reminder to you, and as Rich said, a caution to it was an encouragement, but it's also a caution: esteem one another highly. This I cannot stress this enough. Because you will come across believers in the local church who rub you the wrong way and are not really your cup of tea. But esteem them highly. Because these are precious children of God. Some of them might not even get things right. But esteem them highly and honor God in that. Because there is a treasure in there. This is another one of those hidden treasures of God. You only discover the treasure when... You honor the work of God. Okay, so to today, I've been tasked with this word to specifically draw us to, like we've been talking about the divine pursuit in 2023. So if this is your first time uh, visiting us at Word of Grace, welcome. My name is Judah, just so you know that as well. I forgot, I always forget to introduce myself. My name is Judah, I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been talking about the pursuit that God has for His people and the resulting pursuit that God calls us to have in seeking after Him in His face. And I think it's important that we, we have that heart attitude that says, Lord, show me, because I don't want to just talk a theological sort of very sound. I have all, all my ducks lined up and everything sounds perfect. I want to get to the tasting and seeing what God is actually doing here. I want to get to the place where my pursuit of God is not just because I'm Christian. Christianity is not why I pursue Jesus. A hard relationship with God is why I seek after Him. So unless that is the the premise on which it's built, it is built on a cultural ideology that we have adopted. Things like, oh, Sunday you should be in church. Or you drag your kids to church. Or you, you drag yourself to church. Because you somehow feel like that is a requirement. Those things will never do. And if you are in that place, I hope you hear the word of God through this year. And it goes deep and bears fruit in a fertile soil. So there are certain things that I want to talk through in the next couple of weeks, which is based on this word. It is mana. And we are used to hearing this word in the context of daily bread. If you ever, how many of you know what we would call the Lord's Prayer? I like to call it the Disciples' Prayer. Yeah? How does it start? Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we have this phrase tucked in there. Give us this day our daily bread. And we often slide past that because we just feel it's more like, oh, just provision, you know, that God will su- sustain us. Yes, yes, But that's what I want to unpack in today's teaching. When we talk about manna, what is it? In Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, this is just a little backstory, quick history review, Bible history. Israel had become a nation in Egypt, they were in captivity. And God calls them out. There are plagues in Egypt. How many of you have seen Prince of Egypt? Okay, you know some of that story, right? See, because some of you, if you have not learned this from Scripture, you have some context for some of these things. But I want you to go back. If you, over the next few weeks, read Exodus all the way from 14 all the way through 17. Okay, so you understand where I'm coming from when I pick on certain things. So they come out of Egypt, they're standing at the, at the banks of the Red Sea, and Egyptians are chasing them. And they're like, you brought us out here to kill us. Moses, what the heck were you doing? What, did you, what were you thinking? You, you've, you've literally brought us out to kill us. He says, stop. Do not fear. Actually, let me just go there. They don't have this verse, don't worry. But let me just read this for you. Because I think it's super important that you understand this. Because it will come up later on in our teaching. In Exodus chapter 14. They said, I'm reading from Exodus 14 verse 11. They said to Moses, Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Look at that. God just saved them from an empire that was tyrannical that they finally, after over 400 years, are finally getting out. Generations have lived and died there. And they're saying, were there no more graves left in Egypt that you brought us out here to kill us? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you... This is a very big verse. This one is one of those verses that gets skated by in the the narrative. But this, I would say, is the key that everything hinges on. The Lord will fight for you, You only have to be silent. So what happens is God talks to Moses. He parts the Red Sea. He raises his staff. They walk through on dry ground. And as they're walking through on dry ground, you're talking about moving a whole nation through a water body which has now got walls of water going up the sides. They're walking through. Their feet are not getting stuck in mud because it's dry. Behind them, God closes a curtain as the Egyptians who chase them get swallowed up by the water. They're watching this all happen right in front of their eyes. So they come out on the other side. Miriam brings out the tambourine and they all start to sing and dance for joy that the horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. God is so good. Except chapter 15 happens. Moses sings to the Lord and then they said, but we don't have water. And this water around here is so bitter. What is this? And they grumbled, what shall we drink? This, I'm talking about literally a, <laughs> days apart from li- watching an entire army coming, chasing you down. God saved you, first of all, out there. How you even managed to get out of Egypt? Think about that for a second. So now you're out of Egypt, and then you blame Moses for bringing you up because now you suddenly see an army coming after you. The army gets dealt with. They're gone. You're celebrating for a few minutes, but then you got thirsty. So, Moses, you're a total loser. You did not think this through. You did not get the Gatorade packs. You did not do any of this for the planning. You suck at leadership. (laughs) And that's basically what they're saying. What shall we drink? Okay? And the Lord showed him a log, and he said, Throw it into the water, and the water will become sweet. So there, God made a statute and a rule. Listen to this one. Because there he tested them. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, none of the diseases that the Egyptians had will fall on you. For I am the Lord, and this is where you get Jehovah, Yahweh, Rapha. I am your healer. This is where it comes from. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palms, and they encamped there by the water. I'm not going to get into that part right now, but the fact that they were passing through, and how many miracles have you just seen? Three, right? Three big miracles. You're like, these are not just like happenstance. Something supernatural happened. So God already has shown himself to be patient With a very grumpy bunch of people, who feel like God should really, really do a better job of giving them a better leader first of all, because this guy sucks—he he he doesn't even know how to do half of this leadership stuff, right? And I mean, what kind of groceries? What kind of like? He's taking us through a desert. What gives? Like, we got kids. I've got grandparents. Like, what was he thinking? So now, we get to chapter 16, which is where I'm getting to. And in verse 4, the Lord said, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. Why? Because they were grumbling again. They were like, what should we eat? We don't have anything to eat. So God sends quail from heaven in the evening to, like, literally were dropping. I mean, Woodcrest Point would be like out of business because it was like they were just dropping into people's laps. No hunting required. No dogs needed. Straight birds falling in your lap, right? So they had meat, and in the mornings, God said there will be bread raining from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And this is, do you have Exodus chapter 16, verse 4? That's okay. It says, that, I want you to go and pick up a portion every day. And it says this, that I may test them. Wait, I thought you were just feeding them. Mm-mm. The manna that was coming was for testing something else. So I'm, I want to test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And God has certain conditions. He tells them, go get some stuff. It will be on the ground for you every morning, soon after the morning dew. Okay? Can someone get the back door? Yeah, cool. Um, so there will be food on the ground. Gather it. It'll look, it looks like fine Like flaky, coriander seed kind of looking thing. You pick it up. You can boil it, bake it, make bread for yourself if you wanted to. Or just eat it like that. Good stuff. But everyone, I'm going to give you a measure. It's an omer, which is about two quarts per person in your tent. Go pick up two quarts per person every day. Don't pick up more. Just for each person. Wait, I'm a 200 pound plus guy and uh, I need at least three omers because I need at least six quarts to fill this guy. And there were guys like that. And the ones who had very little because it was one quart and they were a big guy, guess what? By the end of the day, they were full. And the person Who had like, oh my gosh, this is a three-year-old kid and you gave them one quart of, they had more than enough. They were full. It was never too much or too little. But to the one who tried to outplan God in the process, for them, God says, for the one who takes too much, it will rot and have worms for them by the next morning. The provision was going to be specific based on what? Did you listen to what I said? It's not about what you thought you needed. Because we all have thoughts about what we need. He says, did you listen to what I said? You will have. You will have all that you need. But you thought you, you need to figure out what you need. And I will tell God how much I need. And it's definitely not two quarts. Okay. And God says, how long will these people test me? So when you get to this passage here in Exodus chapter 16, verse 15. You see this lying down on the ground. So this is the first time they saw it. They said to one another, What is it? What is this? For they did not know what it was. And funnily enough, that is the Hebrew word manna. What what is it? What? So it is not, the the word is not manna or manna if they were of the American Jewish tradition. Yeah? It was, what is is this? Mana? What is this flake? It looks like dandruff on the grass. Like what is this stuff? And there was a, a, a temptation to look at the so called absurdity of it. Like you <speaking in Hebrew> like, we had meat last night. We I mean birds nice. And we can we can cook a bird. Whatever it is So verse fifteen, they're they're doing this to each other. They're all standing outside their tents. Everyone's going like what is this? So that's where you get mana from. It is actually the confusion that they were, they were going through that this was supposedly the provision from God. And guess what? This provision continued, and a lot of people don't realize this, for 40 years, right until the day they entered Canaan. So there was manna on the ground every single morning. How much should you take for each family? How much you need. On the Sabbath day, collect double because it will not be there the next day and you will have enough for your family. There will always be enough. Can you say that with me? There will always be enough. So stop trying to save up stuff. There will always be enough. In the provision of God, the problem is we are sitting here decoding the situation. Well, uh, th- that is definitely not enough. We have an army coming against us. We have this. We have a plague. We have a, a water shortage. We have an education crisis in America. We have a governmental cr- You will have... What is it? Who do you belong to? The same God that we're talking about in Exodus chapter 16. It's not a different God. So how long and this is a very uh, this is caution but partly encouragement. How long will you test the Lord your God? If he brought you out of the slavery of sin and imputed his righteousness to you, gave you everything in Jesus, and you say, but I don't have water. I don't really have a good job. I mean, seriously? Like, I have to deal with that person for the next five years? Like, okay. The point is made. There are two aspects here of manna that you need to understand that the provision of God is coming, not just as a provision to meet your need, but to test the faith that Donovan was talking about. The testing of your faith. Let's go to James chapter 1. That's where we were last week, right? James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Because you know that the what? Testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness should have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is God's intent here? He wants to mature a son into adulthood. When he brought them out of Egypt, he had Kids with diaper rash. They were, they were grumbly, life is about me kind of people. And in the process, God gave them opportunities to respond. Every single time, and it hinged on what? Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I just said? No, 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 no. Yeah we, heard, yeah, we heard you. We will do whatever you tell us to do. Because it's a rule? Or because you're connected to me and I matter to you? Which one is it? The problem is in Christianity, we do the things of God because we're like, Well, I guess it's a Christian rule. I, 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 I should uh, tithe. Um, I should read my Bible. I should not swear. Swear. Okay, let's cut that out. Why? Because you're Christian? Or because your heart is connected to the one who says, I have called you out by name. You are mine. You belong to me. So every provision I give you is connected to you growing up. Every provision I give you is a test, not for failure. And that is one thing that Donovan was touching on when he talked about how steel is tested. What do you think they're testing for? It's breakability or it's withstandability. If you're down, if your primary reason for testing something is to see how much it will fail, what's the point? Whereas you're saying these are the impacts that this, this item is going to go through. It should withstand that. And nothing more. I'm not going to go and take a, a, a sheet of uh, steel, and see if I drop Mount Everest on top of it, whether it would stand it. That's pointless. It was never. I mean, there is never going to be a steel sheet that needs to ha- withstand the weight of Mount Everest. Neither are you. So God, at each stage of the journey, produces a place of testing, not to watch you fail. But rather to say, would you heed the word that I have said so that it finds root? We'll talk about that a little bit more. But how does faith come? Romans 10 verse 17 says, for faith comes by. How does faith come? Wait, I thought faith had to do with just believing and having that nice warm feeling that Jesus is your Savior? Yes, but it's not just a warm feeling. What happens when the warm feeling is gone? And now, I don't have water. I just saw an enemy defeated, but I don't have water. I'm hungry. And Jesus ties it to something very key. In Matthew, how many of you know the Beatitudes? Okay, it's tucked in there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For what? For His rightness. Whenever you see the word righteousness, it's not righteousness like like some virtue standing off to the side. It is God's rightness. I hunger and thirst after him being right. He is the only wise God. The problem is we think, yeah, he's wise, but I'm pretty smart too. He gave me a mind to really work through. I know God gave you a sharp mind, but I'm telling you, when it comes to whether you should take two quarts or three, He is wise. But it doesn't make sense. That math does not add up. You are the only wise. I hunger like I hunger for no other food. Because my hunger is often tempted by my perspective of what the situation is. So when the trials come to test it, it's not him saying, let me see how long you can go without food. That's not his goal. He's saying, will you wait for the food that I have? Because my kind of food won't make sense. It'll look like, mana, mana. What, 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 what is this? I asked for $2,000 to pay that bill. What is someone giving me two frozen pieces of hamburger meat? Well, I don't need frozen hamburger meat. I need $2,000. Are you ready to receive hamburger meat? <laughs> do, do you see the confusion where your eyes deceive you where it says, this cannot be wise. This ca- God must be stupid, even though I won't say that. He must, he must not get the whole idea of what's going on here. We then get into the place where we grumble and complain against God. What was the first thing that we heard in Exodus chapter 14? You only have to shut your mouth. That is all you have to do. The problem is we want to tell God what we really think the situation is. There is a very fine line between sharing your heart with God and trying to tell God off. And be careful. He knows which one is which. He knows which one is which. So you're not kidding anybody. You don't have to prove it to me that I was just pouring my heart out to God. He watches the intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God, when it comes to you, is sharp. It's alive. It's active. It divides right through soul and spirit, right down to the intentions of the heart. So when you hear the word of God come to you, you're like, (laughs) he said, why did you laugh? Sarah's like, I did not laugh. I told you you will have a son next year. This is Abraham's wife. God said she laughed. Guess what her son's going to be called? You laughed. God's Word is always looking for a place to bear fruit. He's testing for John chapter 15 when you read, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's not testing for a lack of growth, he's testing for growth and fruitfulness. He's never looking to see, like, oh, I guess you're not the right kind of person. He always wants to see fruitfulness. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God must believe that He exists as the one He says He is. So when He says, I will be provider, like for instance, this morning while we were in worship, we heard that God is your provider, He is faithful. Do you know something? I make the best chocolate chip pancakes. How many of you can agree with that statement? Well, I got one taker so far. I make, I'm telling you, I promise you, I make the best chocolate chip pancakes. Why, 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 do you, why are you having a hesitation? You haven't tasted my chocolate chip pancakes. Why have you not tasted my chocolate chip pancakes? It's an unarguable, objective fact. <laughs> Why do you not know that mine pancakes are the best? It's because we haven't had breakfast lately. Neither have you come over. When I'm, but if you ask my kids, I am the best chocolate chip pancake maker there exists on the planet or in the universe. Mom is not even a close second. (laughs) Why? Because they've tasted and seen it. They have enveloped themselves into a relational connection, which draws them to such a proud statement that seems almost ludicrous to someone else saying it, someone else hearing it. They're like, we know your dad loves you. (laughs) Chill, kid. Your dad's no chef. I mean, he loves that oldie pancake mix. That's about it. (laughs) Right? He doesn't even make the real stuff. Like, you could have all the reasons, but if you try convincing my child of that, there's not a single thing that will shake them from that. Why? Because there is some... They believe I am who I say I am and exist in, in that I am cook and chef for pancakes for them. I mean... Their mom is a way more accomplished baker, cook, and there are lots of people in this church who know that for a fact. If they were to line Judah and Hannah up, everyone would pick Hannah, <laughs> right? However, try convincing my kids that my wife should make pancakes. Nope. You just don't do it. It's not your thing. You just you do a hard, I mean, they will even start to like get negative. They're like, "You, you don't even make them right." We're like, "Hey, chill out," you know. But why do they get like that? Because there is a faith that is rock solid in something that they have tasted. So anything that is contrary to that is unshakable. You cannot touch this. This is sure. So when you get to something like. God must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. When you hear something like, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever puts their faith, their belief in Him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. Am I convinced of the love of God for me? This is why it starts in something so basic. Where when he says something, I perk up. So when I say something like, God is provider, it is not a statement. I have tasted and seen that God is provider. To some people over here, when you heard that said from the stage, you knew that theologically you should agree with that concept. But on a heart level, you're like... I still can't pay my bills. And the disconnect is only a love response away. A responding to, my situation hasn't changed yet. I don't understand everything yet. It's all very, I don't know what is happening. Like, what is this thing you're giving? Like, you're telling me to walk with you every day. You said you'll give me daily bread. I mean, what is that? I don't need daily bread. I need like something a little bit more meaty. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To stand in the way of the just judgment of God against sin. The wrath of God that was coming to to judge every sin was laid on Jesus. That's how you know God loves you. John chapter 15 verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Guess what? Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my, my Father's commandments and I abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So when we talk about the commandments of God and what did God say? What is He really getting after? Do you love me? Do you know that I love you? He's asking that very simple question. Do you know that I love you? But I wanted chocolate chip pancakes today. Do you know that I love you? But I don't want cereal. Dad's really tired this morning. And we're not having chocolate chip pancakes. But we're talking about a heavenly father who goes way beyond all of those kinds of frailties that I, as an earthly father, have. And he looks and he says, Do you know I love you? That will be manna for you today. I will give you exactly what you need. And you will be satisfied. That's the best part. But I start off saying, No, I'm not going to be satisfied. This is not going to satisfy me. He says, Ah. The bread that he has for you is only for you. If, you, if anyone else takes it, it'll rot. And he has woken you up this morning, not with you, version, telling you what he has for you. Not with your pastor telling you what he has for you. Not even what your journal tells you he has for you. Because he himself wants to tell you what he has for you. And you will leave that to rot on the shelf of today. Because you just do not want to go up and say, What do you have for me today? So my encouragement is, don't worry about whether you have the perfect prayer or the perfect way. Say just just this, make this a simple discipline. At some point in your day, I would urge you to do it right at the start of your day. It helps when you start your day this way. Say, Lord, I come to you for daily bread. Something that looks like, why not? It doesn't look like anything to anybody. It doesn't even look like anything to you. But it will be such a guide through your day. And you are gonna be like, how am I so established in peace, in, this, in, the, in the provision of God? And everything doesn't seem right just yet. Things still seem chaotic. Things have not gone right in a long time. But there is a confidence I am walking in on the journey to the victory. On the journey to the promised land. There is something that you've provided for me every single day. So believing always starts with love. If believing does not start with love, but starts with a requirement or an obligation, step back, go back to saying, Lord, affect my heart. Because when I hear your voice, it shouldn't be, oh, I guess you... Okay, uh, it shouldn't be that that drew you to the table. It'd be, you love me. You are calling me here for a reason. You have told me to come up here for a reason. What? Okay. uh, How many of you are familiar with that response? We do that to God constantly. When he calls us up to something and he says, I've sent you my word to test you. And I am not looking for you to fail. I'm looking for you to succeed in this. But do you know I love you? Your success or your failure does not determine that. But do you know that I love you? That I've called you for a purpose? So there are three H's I want to cover. When your heart is established that faith is the bedrock that he's testing, right? He's testing it for impact. If this faith is going to stand up, what is this faith resting on? How do I develop this faith? It starts with the first H, which is hunger. Do I hunger and thirst For his voice. Is there a desire? That's a more modern word for it, right? Is there a desire that that the moment I wake up, there is a desire that says, I want to hear what he has to say? Because right now, if I'm being honest, there isn't a desire To hear what he has to say. I would much rather go get breakfast. Get my coffee first. And then figure out what the news of the day is. And do you see how quickly my day has got so clouded? Not because I planned it that way. But because I let it happen that way. Because I haven't gone back to the deeper place of. Lord you love me. And I want to love you back. When I start there. Then hunger for his presence starts to grow. I've heard a lot of you ask these questions over the, over the past few years. How do I hear the voice of God? It starts from responding to His love. Always, always. Never overcomplicated into some, do I get these steps right? Guess what? I have heard of the Lord speaking to people in a variety of ways. But it always starts from a place of love. If there isn't love for Him, which is why, what is the first commandment and the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. That is the first one. Before you get anywhere else, love the Lord your God. And shut up. Don't Before you try and start with the... Because when you see what He is giving you, you want to analyze it. We want to make like a whole summary of what it should have been and what it isn't there and how the situation is going to eva- you know, develop in the next five years and what if I don't have And we try and talk about all these things and he's like, you're drowning and you're describing the water. Instead of saying, Lord, where's your hand in all of this? Saying, come up here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Righteousness. For what will happen to them? They will be satisfied. It's a promise He has made. If you will hunger after Him, you will be satisfied. He has promised to not leave you hanging. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if your son asks you for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? Or which of you, if he asks for fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, as failing human parents often are, You being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It comes back to this father, son, father, daughter relationship. A good one where God says, I am not someone that you need to be afraid of asking the question to. If you come to me, I love you. I love to give you everything I have, but I will never overload you either. But guess what? Sometimes it's time to grow up. But I don't want to. We never feel like we want to. For those of us who have made it into adulthood in this room, I mean, there are so many things. You're like, oh my gosh, I mean, why did I behave like that when I was 15? And then some of us who are past adulthood who are now in, the, in our 60s or 70s or whatever. You look at those of us who are younger and you're like, man, I, when you look at some of the things that end up becoming the big ticket item in their lives. Like, if only these 20, 30 year olds figured out that this isn't going to really matter in another 5 to 10 years. You're getting all bent out of shape over something that's really not the big ticket. And for those of you who are older, you suddenly see people who have gone ahead of you and you're like, why was I concerned about these things? And God always draws us back to this place of saying, it's always a thing of maturing from step by step. And you'll never come cooked. So if you're 20 right now and hoping to glean the wisdom of the 60 year olds, guess what? Sorry, you're going to have to walk through it. You don't get to be 60 without being 30, and 35, and 40, and 45. The internet isn't going to solve it for you either. Information about walking with God isn't going to take you there. Walking with Him is going to take you there. So while there's going to be manna on the ground every single day for the next 40 years, He's, he's destined you for milk and honey. And He gives you out of the riches that He has. But don't for a second, there are two things happening at the same time here. You are stepping into a place where your relationship with God gives you the benefit of all the milk and honey that He has. But you're still an exile here. You're still not in your home country. You're not home yet. So stop living like, but I should have all the milk and honey I want. He said, like, guess what? Today we're going to do a little growing up. So I want you to see that whatever, in Philippians chapter 3, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ and a righteousness that depends on faith. When I respond to his word to me, then guess what happens? The second H happens, which is, I hear the message of Christ. Faith comes by. And hearing what? The message of Christ. When you hear the word of Christ, you start to hear your Savior not just say, oh, guess what? It is a Christian concept that God will be your provider. Thank you, thank you. But when, when God draws you to a place of hungering after his presence, and he says, I will be your provider. Suddenly now it is heard with faith. Now hearing develops this faith to a place where now, he says, okay, are you ready to take this step into provision? Because it still looks like, it looks like hamburger meat. I'm ready to take a step of faith into what you're calling me to, and it's not some hokey thing. It's not some hokey-hokey kind of like, Believe it and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. No, it's not that. You're taking a step with the one who has hold of you completely. And he says, let's go. Let's go. Let's take this step. And when you take a step, it's called heeding, which is the third H. So when you hunger after his presence, you begin to hear him. When you begin to hear him, now comes the step of getting out of the boat. Uh, water and human body don't mix. I will go straight down. But he said, step out. Jesus, are you not aware of science or something? He said, step out. It looks stupid. I will look stupid to everybody. That's okay. It looks like manna. Okay, step out. How am I standing on water? And there will be people in your lives who look at you and say, How are you standing on water? And you're like, I don't know. Because even to me, I don't know. But I know his daily bread will sustain. And what he has tested, I have come through. Because I responded to his voice. Proverbs 4 verse 20 says, My son, be attentive to my words. Lay it up in the midst of your heart. For it is life to those who find it and health to all their body. Watch over your heart. Watch over your heart. Because from it flow everything that you need for life. So if you're not watching over the heart issue back here, which is a hungering for God, and you want to jump over here to say, Well, do you want me to do this thing? Should I go after this job? Or should I marry this person? Or uh," like, come on, like I'm waiting here, like it's decision time, and he's like, We're still over here. We're still in a hunger phase. Because if you do not hunger after my presence, my voice is irrelevant to you by the time you get here. And then guess what happens? You brought us out here to kill us? You literally wanted to kill me. That's why you brought me here. And the test of manna is not received. Something I will pick up next week, we'll go into. But it's surprising that when Jesus... It is not. It is. It's just the way God works. This whole episode of them coming out of Egypt and being tested with manna and the water. Jesus, when he was taken into the desert to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness, the first thing the enemy, Satan, comes to him and says, tell these stones to become bread for you. And then what does Jesus quote? He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is talking about this manna episode. And he says, God tested them in the desert. Can you put Deuteronomy chapter 8 up? When, when he says, and you shall remember that the way that this is, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 2 and 3, that the Lord your God led you for these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you Testing to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Next verse. And he humbled you and let you hunger. So guess what God did first? He let you hunger. He created an appetite for something. He let you hunger, which you did not know, which your fathers did not know, that he might make you know. What does he make you know? And there's that verse. That man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And that's the first thing Jesus says. And guess what the next thing Jesus says? Because he takes him up to a high tower, and he says, I'll show you all the nations of the earth. Just bow down and worship me. Guess what he says? You shall not... Or, no, Throw yourself off this, this mountain and command the angels to come get you. He says, You shall not... Put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test. Guess where that's from? The very next verses after the manna incident. And that's taken from Deuteronomy 6. Why is it? Because they tested him, and that's why it's called masa. The word test is the word masa, which is where they went and they said, Well, this water, we need more water. Jesus quotes these two things. When he says it is written. Because it was important for people to realize that in order to go through the test. I need to depend on him as the living water. I need to depend on him being the bread of life. We'll unpack this a little bit more next week. Let's just pray. Father we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give life to places that are dead. We thank you that, Lord, even though things don't look like it, your bread is the bread of life. You have the bread of life. So, Lord, we come to you as people in need of what you have. Lord, I ask that you train us, O Lord, in the secret place. Lord, to hunger and thirst after you even more than we do right now. Lord, I ask that you'd awaken our hearts to your love. Lord, that these things will not be contrived or religious. Lord, but we would come to a place of knowing that you are good and your loving kindness endures forever. That we will know that you are faithful to carry out your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.